Good to see everyone back this afternoon on this good, cool afternoon. It's good to say that. I saw some people coming in. They were shivering. It's already too cold for them. And then everybody, you know, you go from 100 degrees to 50 degrees and you can't please anybody. You know, everybody was complaining last week about it being too hot. And now everybody's talking about it being too cold. So we just jumped straight from summer to winter. We, we skipped fall, I guess. So glad again that you're here tonight. As you know, on Sunday nights, what we've been doing is looking at questions that people have asked. And one of the ones that was marked and one of the things that uh, a lot of folks wanted to know has to do with how much power does the devil have today? And so we want to talk about that for a little while tonight, deal with that in just a little bit ways. Let's begin by looking at the book of Genesis chapter 3, verses 1 through 7. All of us, I think, are familiar with what is said there. It's a passage that, you know, we know uh, pretty much by heart, at least the story behind it. The Bible says, Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Did God actually say, You shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but God said, You shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that's in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that it was delight to the eyes, and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. She also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. Then the eyes of both were opened. They knew that they were naked. They sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loin cloths. As you look at that passage, we're familiar with the fact that there in the Garden of Eden, in that beautiful garden that God had created and put this man and woman, the very first man and woman, into that, and he had told them to dress and to keep the garden. You can have anything in it except the fruit off of this one tree. Here comes Satan, the serpent, into that garden and tempts Eve so that she herself will partake of the fruit and that she also will give to her husband and he will partake of the fruit. And through them, sin and death entered into the world. And so, as we look at that, it's the first place in the Bible, of course, that we are introduced to Satan. Now, somebody said Satan can make you do a lot of things. Well, you know, as we look at this serpent, uh, this snake, we understand that snakes indeed can make us do a lot of things. There's a story of, uh, of a bus driver in South uh, Africa uh, that in 2014, he saw a, saw a snake out on the road and jumped to his feet while he was driving his bus, and, and the bus ran into another little minivan, if you will, and killed four ladies because he saw a snake and he jumped up, even though he was in a bus. Snakes can make us do some weird things, can't they? Uh, but uh, this snake that Eve had a conversation with has killed more people than that uh, through the sin that came into the world and through the death. And we know about this serpent, this snake, that it was there in the Garden of Eden, because when we go all the way to the other end of the Bible, in the book of Revelation, near the very end of the, the book of Revelation, in Revelation chapter 20 at verse 2, the Bible talks about how he sees the dragon, that ancient serpent, and then he identifies that ancient serpent for us there, who is the devil and Satan, 
and bound him for a thousand years. And so we're introduced to Satan in the very beginning of the Bible, the third chapter of the Bible. And the next to the last chapter of the Bible, we understand that he was still active, that there was something that was still going on in regard to him. And so let's, I guess, think about this in, in small portions tonight as we answer the question, how much power does Satan have over us today? How much power does the devil have today? Let's first ask the question, where did Satan come from? Where did he come from? And as I ask that question, I want us to understand that Satan does not possess the nature of deity. He, he is not God himself. He, he doesn't have the characteristics or the attributes of God. In the book of Genesis chapter 17 at verse number 1, when God was talking to Abraham, he said to Abraham, I am God Almighty. God Almighty, that's the characteristic of, of deity all-powerful, all-knowing. In the book of Job, chapter 42, at verse number 2, when God was talking to Job, the Bible says there, I know that you can do all things and that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. That's what, God, uh, what Job said to God. I know you can do all things. Okay, And so Job acknowledges the power of God. But Satan does not have that characteristic. Satan does not have that kind of uh, power. In, in the book of Job, again, chapter 1, verse 12, the Bible says, And the Lord said to Satan, Behold, all that he has is in your hand. Only against him do not stretch out your hand. So Satan went out from the presence of the Lord. Do you see what happened there? God was able to, to limit the uh, power, limit the things that Satan could do to Job. If Satan had been deity himself and had possessed the power uh, of a god, then he would not have been limited by God, could not have been limited by God. And so God limited him there. Same thing is true in Job chapter 2 at verse 6. When um, the second time that God and Satan are talking about Job, the Bible says that, um, uh, Behold, he's in your hand, only spare his life. You can't kill him. And we've heard that, we've studied that, you know, in regard to Job. But now we're talking about it in regard to Satan. Satan has limitations that have been placed on him by God. Again, in the New Testament, we have the same concept that is presented to us. In the book of Luke, chapter number 4, at verse number uh, 7, uh, I think it is, uh, uh, verse number 6, the Bible says, And he said to him, To you I will give all authority and their glory, for it has been to, uh, delivered to me, and I give it to whom I will. You see, Satan, uh, the power, the authority that he has is not inherent in him. It was given to him. And this is, of course, when he is tempting Jesus and they're having the conversation and he takes him and shows him all the kingdoms of the world. And he says, you know, it's been given to me. It's been delivered to me. He's not deity. He, he did not have that uh, before it was given to him. In the book of James, chapter 4, verse number 7, the Bible says, Submit yourselves therefore to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. If he was all-powerful, then he could force you to submit to him. 
And, and uh, he, he would not be afraid of you. He would not run from you. He would not turn aside from you if he had the power to cause you to make you do certain things. And then in the book of Revelation, chapter 20, at verse number 10, the Bible says, And the devil who had deceived them was thrown into the lake of fire and sulfur, where the beast and the false prophet were. They will be tormented day and night forever and ever. You see, the, de- the devil, Satan, he, he does not have the power to stop that from happening, nor will he be able to escape. Again, that says something about the limitation of his power, the limitation of what he is. And so he doesn't possess the nature of deity. But not only that, when we're asking the question about where did Satan come from, if we know that if he doesn't possess the characteristics of deity, one of which is being eternal, then he had to have been created. He didn't just spring up from somewhere. He had to have been created. If he's not deity, he had to come from some other place because deity is eternal. And so if he's not eternal, that only leaves the alternative of creation for him. Now, look at Colossians chapter 1, verse number 16. I hope you'll turn in your Bible as we look through these things tonight. But in Colossians chapter 1, at verse number 16, the Bible says, For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. Now this, of course, is talking about God. It's talking about the creation. But did you notice what he said? The things that are in heaven and on earth. Both places, there, there's the creation that's being talked about. And then, not only does he say the things that are in heaven and on earth, but the things that are visible and the things that are invisible. Now, we can think about the sun and the moon and the stars and all of those things being in, in what we might call a heaven, okay? Uh, the, 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 the heaven that, you know, where the birds fly and the heaven where the sun, moon, and the stars are and then the heaven where, where God is. But, but we think about the things that are in, in, in space. Uh, they're the things that are created. We see the light from the stars. We see uh, the sun and the moon and all of those things. But he says the things that are invisible. We can't see Satan. We don't see him marching around, running around. You know, a lot of times people will picture him as being, uh, you know, having a, a pointy tail and, and horns and carrying a pitchfork around and doing all those things. But we don't see him in that way. He is invisible. And he also has some power. And notice that uh, one of the things that Paul writes about God is he gave power. He created the thrones and the dominions. But not only that, go back to the book of Exodus chapter 20 at verse number 11. Exodus chapter 20, verse number 11. This is Moses in what we know as the Ten Commandments. He says, For in six days the Lord God made heaven and earth, the sea, and all that is in them. He made heaven and earth and all that is in them, and then he rested on the seventh day. That was the, the point. He's making the point about the Sabbath day for the, for the Jewish people, for the Israelites. But he said that God created heaven and earth and all that in them is, 
in six days. If the devil is created, when was he created? Now go back to Genesis chapter 1 at verse number 1. In Genesis 1 verse 1, in the beginning God created the heavens, plural, and the earth. But the Bible tells us in Exodus 20 verse 11, in Colossians 1 verse 6, when the heaven and the earth, the heavens and the earth were created, everything that was in them was created. Think a very logical thing could, uh, uh, case could be made that very likely on the very first day of creation, in the beginning when God created the heavens and the earth, that God very well created the angels in which, of which Satan was most certainly one. Again, go back to the book of Job. Job chapter 38, verses 6 and 7. Job 38, verses 6 and 7. God again is talking to Job. He's asking him questions. Job has challenged God. On what were the bases sunk, or who laid its cornerstone? When the morning stars sang together, and all the sons of God shouted for joy. How is that term, sons of God, used in the book of Job? Do you remember? Do you remember back in Job chapter 1 and also in chapter 2 of the book of Job, Job 1 verse 6, as well as Job 2 verse 1? And now there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan also was among them. Gen or rather, Job chapter 2 at verse 1, again, there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan also came among them to present himself. And so, going back to Job 38, verses 6 and 7, when he talks about the, the uh, sons of God rejoicing at God creating the earth, it seems that they were present. But if God created the heavens and the earth and everything that's in them in six days, according to the book of Exodus chapter 20 at verse 11, it seems that it was a case could be made and very likely is the reality that God created the angels at that very first of the creation. Now, did we need to know that? When we, when we look at the Bible, and we start reading about the creation, we know that it's written for us and for what we need to know. God didn't tell us exactly when He created, but He did give us some clues. And so I think, again, as we look at it and as we study through it, a logical case can be made for that very thing. But one more verse, Nehemiah chapter 9 at verse number 6. Somebody again might say, well, when he created the heavens and the earth, that was just the sun, the moon, the stars, and all those things that we read about in the book of Genesis. But Nehemiah chapter 9, verse 6 says, You are the Lord, you alone. You have made the heaven, the heaven of heavens, with all their host, and the earth and all that is in it, and the seas and all that is in them, and you preserve all of them, and the host of heavens worship you. What do the angels do? Isaiah says in the book of Isaiah chapter 6, they're surrounding God saying, Holy, holy, holy. And so, 
again when we look at Nehemiah chapter 9 at verse 6 and we see that host of heaven. You know, there are times in the Old and New Testaments when God is bringing His angels and they're called the hosts of heaven. And so again, it's very likely that Satan, along with the other angels, was created right at the very beginning of the creation. Okay? But that brings me to another question. Did God create Satan to be evil? Did He just create him in that way? Genesis chapter 1 verse 31 says about the creation that God made that it was very good. God saw everything that He had made and behold it was very good. And there was evening and there was morning the sixth day. Everything was very good. If He was created good then there was some point at which he failed, at which, which he sinned, right? He had to change. If God created him good, there had to be a change. Look at 1 John chapter 3, verse number 8. 1 John chapter 3, verse 8 says, Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil. That's who we're talking about, isn't it? Whoever makes a practice of sin is of the devil. And he goes on, he says... For the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy, to destroy the works of the devil. Brother Woods and his commentary on this passage in 1 John chapter 3 said, The devil has sinned or has been sinning, and then he gives the Greek language for it, which we're not going to, to share. He's been doing that from the beginning, i.e., he says, from the first sin which resulted in his becoming the devil. Being the first sinner, the devil is the source of sin, the fountain from which it springs, the father of all those who practice it. You know, Jesus would say to some of the Jewish leaders that you are of your father, the devil, because they... They were lying about some of the things that Jesus said. We're, Jesus uh, talking about them being in bondage. They said, well, we've never been in bondage. And, and Jesus says, no, you're, you're your father the devil. He's a liar, been a liar from the beginning. And, and here we have, and as Brother Woods comments on this, you know, from the beginning, from the very first sin, Satan was the one who did that. Bible, of course, seems to indicate that there was some sort of rebellion in heaven. Second Peter chapter 2, verse 4. For if God did not spare the angels uh, when they sinned, but cast them into the hell and committed them to chains of gloomy darkness to be kept unto the judgment, makes a point that he's not going to spare us either. In Jude, verse number 6, the Bible says, The angels who did not stay within their own position of authority, but left their proper dwelling, he has kept in eternal chains under gloomy darkness, until the judgment of the great day. If you were with us before the uh, summer series uh, started, you know we were looking at the books of Jude and um, uh, the, the books of First, Second, Third John and Jude, and, and we looked at these passages and looked at them in in depth and talked about them. You know, especially the the ones that uh, the the one there in verse six of Jude. And we even referred back to Second Peter chapter two at verse four, which is somewhat parallel with it. But again, there seems to have been some kind of, as it were, rebellion where these these angels left their proper estate. They 
they took on things that they had no business taking on. And we don't have time to deal with that in great detail. But the point is this, it seems that God created everything good. But being creatures of choice, just like we are, Satan and some of the angels, other angels, decided that they knew better than God how things ought to be done. And they rebelled against him. As we think about him, his mission has always, since that time, been to destroy mankind. In the book of Revelation, chapter 9, at verse number 11, the Bible says, They have as king over them the angel of the bottomless pit. His name in Hebrew is Abaddon, and in Greek it's Apollyon. Do you know what Abaddon means, or Apollyon? Abaddon means destruction, and Apollyon means destroyer. He is destruction and the destroyer. And you know what? He started with Eve, didn't he? started with her. When you go back to the book of Genesis, we read it at the beginning of our lesson tonight. He started with her. Not only that, but in the book of Matthew, chapter 4, verses 1 through 11, he kept it up with the very Son of God who came and carried him out into the wilderness and tempted him. Three big temptations that Matthew and Luke record for us. He tried to destroy mankind by destroying the Savior. Did he not? If he could have gotten Jesus just to commit one sin, then we would not have a Savior. And thus mankind would be destroyed. And then in 1 Peter chapter 5, at verse number 8, Peter writes and says, Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. You know, as I think about that, his mission being to destroy mankind... Why is that? You see, the devil is going to suffer punishment, and we'll see more about that in just a moment. Because of his rebellion, perhaps even pride against God, he's going to suffer eternal punishment. And he wants the same for you and me. He wants us to not be able to have what he can't have. You know, that's one reason envy is so bad, all of those kinds of things. His whole mission has been to destroy mankind. But again, how much power does he have today? You say, preacher, I, I, I knew a good part of what you've already talked about, but what about today? What about today? Does he have any power today? In other words, can he make a person do something against his will? Can, can he do that? You know, there used to be a comedian on, and I know the, uh, the younger folks, the teenagers are not here, got some, uh, some others, but uh, some of you know who I'm talking about when you say, uh, the devil made me do it. Y'all know, who, y'all know who, who we're talking about. Flip Wilson, is that his name? I, I'm, I, I, I'm barely old enough to remember him doing that, but, but anyway... Does he make us do those things? Does he have that much power? Let me suggest to you tonight that a fair answer to that is simply this. Satan only has as much power over us as we allow him to have. He only has as much power over us as we allow him to have. 
You, you know, there's no doubt in my mind that he is, he is powerful. He, he, is, he is very, very powerful. As a matter of fact, as we think about uh, him, he, he is one who is called uh, Beelzebub, the prince of demons, Matthew 12, verse 24. He's called the prince of this world, John 12, 31, the god of this world, 2 Corinthians 4, 4, the prince of the powers of the air, Ephesians 2, 2, the ruler of darkness, Ephesians 6, at verse number 12. He, he, he has all of that, all of those titles. And we know that he has power to do those things. Just look at what he caused, brought upon Job. But he's not all-powerful. When the devil tempted Jesus, he offered him all the power and the glory of the kingdoms of this world. If only he'd fall down and worship him. And, and, and you know, it's interesting what Jesus didn't say at that point. It, it's almost as interesting what Jesus didn't say as, as what he did say. In Luke chapter 4, verse 6, he said to him, To you I will give all this authority and their glory, for it's been delivered to me, and I give it to whom I will. That's what Satan said. But Jesus never refuted Satan's position as God of this world, nor of his ability to impose his will on it. Jesus never did that. Man by the name of Eric Sauer wrote this. He says, The whole offer would have been unreal from the first for the Lord as a temptation if some such legal basis for Satan's dominion in the world had not existed. Otherwise, Jesus would only have had to point out that, it, that the necessary presumptions for Satan's legal claim to the ability to dispose of the glory of the world simply did not exist. The Lord, however, left this claim of the devil's uncontradicted and merely recognized in principle the tempter's right to dispose of the kingdoms of this world in this present age. This same thought lies behind the various sayings of Jesus in which he calls Satan the prince of this world. I guess to sum it up, this is good. We would all do well to recognize the same thing that Jesus recognized that the very Son of God recognized that Satan is an important and powerful foe. But he still only has as much power over us as we allow him to have. As powerful as he is, he is not omnipotent. Click me there, Larry. For some reason, I stopped. He is not omnipotent. There we go. Again, in Luke chapter 4, verse 6, his power, his dominion had been delivered to him. Uh, again, when we see him uh, dealing with Job, even though he robbed Job of his family and pretty much everything he had as far as his earthly possessions, uh, he still had the restrictions placed on him by God. And when he sought to sift the word that Jesus uses in the book of Luke chapter 22, when he sought to sift Jesus' own apostles as wheat, he first had to ask for them. Do you remember what is said there in Luke 22, 31 and 32? Simon, Simon, 
Behold, Satan demanded to have you, that he might sift you like wheat. But I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. I wonder if that conversation went on in heaven like it did with Job. God, what do you think about Peter? Can I have him? Let me have him. Let me have him. Let me, let, let me wear him out. See where he turns. Jesus said, God said, no. Can't have him. Did that mean Peter didn't fall prey to the devil in some ways? Yeah, he denied Jesus. But then Peter came back. You know, again, when we think about how Satan's working today, he's the tempter. There's no better way of talking about it or putting it or no, no real magic, you know, that, that, that we can talk about. He is the tempter. Isn't that what he did to Jesus? Matthew chapter 4, verse number 3. Isn't the he, it, doesn't he take him out into the wilderness to, to tempt him? In 1 Thessalonians chapter 3 at verse 5. But pay close attention tonight to James 1, 13 through 15. You've heard preachers preach it for years. And it says, let no one say when he is tempted, I'm being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil and he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he's lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is fully grown, gives birth to death, or brings forth death. Temptation. How does he do it? Let's look at three or four passages. Look at 2 Corinthians 4, verse 4. In their case, the Bible says, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers, to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. He blinded the minds of the unbelievers. How does he do that? You know, sometimes he blinds the minds of unbelievers because they have been taught by their parents or they've been taught by some other, uh, some teacher, some preacher. They've been taught by their friends that certain things are true. And, and, and since they have believed that for such a long time, they believe in their mind nothing else can be true. If anything contradicts what they have believed, they're not going to have it. They just refuse, cannot see that anything that they've done or believed or said or whatever it may be could be wrong. Satan blinds our does he does he magically put his hand on us and say your mind is blind you can't see this no the clue was what i said at the beginning parents teachers friends peers of some sort they they take us down a road we don't want to get off that road and we'll refuse to see the ridiculousness sometimes of positions that they hold. You know, <sighs> sort of like the political scene today. So many people, you know, so many are wanting to take the United States into the socialist realm. And, and they just can't seem to understand that 
every time a nation goes down that road, nothing good comes from it. Just, just one or two or a few people are empowered. Everybody else, they've lost everything. Their minds are blinded. And the sad thing about it is, those things really don't make any difference when it's all said and done. Oh, we think they do. But what makes a difference is when folks will not see the truth of God's Word. Not only that, but when we think about Satan, what else does he do? Well, look at 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 14 and 15. And no wonder, for even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light, so that it's no surprise if his servants also disguise themselves as the servants of righteousness. Their end will correspond to their deeds. How many have ever seen a beer commercial on television? Now, I'm not suggesting that, that that's something that you want to go home and watch, but if you've ever seen one, how many of them show the bad side of drinking alcohol? I mean, have you ever seen one that shows the bad side, the side of, of drinking alcohol? No, what they, look how popular, you, popular you'll be. Look how, look how good a life you'll have if you drink our alcohol. Look how exciting things will be and, and, and how, how all of these good things happen to you. Well, the good things happen for people who, make, who, who drink alcohol? Probably not. I mean, when you think about having getting up sick in the morning, hungover, ran over somebody that night, got in a fight, beat your wife, you know, you could go down... Down a long list. But they make it look so good. So good. They have disguised themselves like Satan as, as good things. And the same is true in the realm of religion. Again, notice what, uh, what he said there in that passage, that they disguise themselves as servants of righteousness. Throughout our world, they are those who, who claim to be servants of God, but refuse to be obedient to Him, refuse to listen to what the New Testament teaches about salvation and worship and all the other things. And you know what? Even brothers and sisters in Christ get caught up in some of those things because they say, look how, good these, how much good these folks are doing. We need to be very careful. When somebody's wearing a disguise, if you're just walking around out at Walmart and somebody's got on a disguise, well, that might not have been a good illustration. If you're walking around in town and somebody has on a disguise, you're going to be wondering what in the world is going on. And we better be watching for the disguises for those who dress themselves as righteous. Because you know what? You know who they're working for? Well, we just read it. Not only that, but again, look at 1 John, uh, or rather uh, uh, Luke chapter 8 at verse number 12. 
The ones along the path are those who have heard. The devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts so that they may not believe and be saved. How does he do that? To snatch their Bible and run off with it? No. Again, through, through friends or neighbors or loved ones of some kind. You know, he takes that word out. And it may be just the own, our own desires that I don't want to change. I don't want new friends. I don't want to make a change in the way that I've been living my life. You see, he works in a, a lot of different ways. He'll set a trap for you. There's no doubt about it. 1 Timothy 3 verse 7 talks about the snare being caught in the snare of the devil. In the book of Ephesians chapter 6 at verse 11, he says, Put on the whole armor of God so that we will be able to stand against the wiles of the devil, the schemes of the devil. See, he's full of trickery. And he has a deliberate planning system. That's the idea of that scheme behind him. A deliberate planning system, how he will catch you. He has a plan for you in your life and how he can catch you. And so we have to be very, very careful. 2 Corinthians 2, verse 11, so that we would not be outwitted by Satan, for we're not ignorant of his designs. We have to watch and be very careful. You know, one of the things that we best not forget is the help of the Lord. James 4, verse 7, Submit yourselves therefore to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Like a big school bully, he'll run, He'll pack up, uh, pick himself up, and run off when somebody stands up to him. It's not because he's afraid of us, but it's because he's afraid of the one who is in us. Notice 1 John 4, verse 4. Little children, you are from God and have overcome them, for he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. You see, if we've taken ourselves and aligned ourselves with God, Satan will leave us, at least for a short time. By the way, isn't that what Jesus did? How did Jesus defend against Satan? He quoted in Scripture. Where did Scripture come from? It came from God. And he did that three times. And what, 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 what does Matthew tell us? The devil departed from him. That's what James says can be done for us. Not because we're strong, but because our God is. You see, we don't need to forget the help of the Lord. 1 Corinthians 10 verse 13, No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful and will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will also provide a way of escape. You may be able to endure it. I've got to be willing to look for the, for, for the escape, and a lot of folks are not. Romans 16, verse 20, The God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. And then 1 John chapter 5, at verse 4, For everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world, and this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith, our faith in God. And so we do not need to give in to temptation. We don't have to give in to temptation and give control to Satan of our life. What's the devil's destiny? We're swiftly running out of time tonight. Matthew 25, verse 41. 
Then he will say to those on his left, Depart from me, you cursed, into the eternal fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. And then let's quickly look at Revelation 20, verse 10. And the devil who had deceived them was thrown into the lake of fire and sulfur where the beast and the false prophet were, and they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. What is the devil's destiny? Well, it's the place that was prepared for him and his angels, Matthew chapter 25 at verse 41. Again, it may be that even some Christians have the concept of Satan, that he's running around there around hell somewhere, and, and uh, he's just waiting for folks to get there, and he wants to use his pitchfork, and we'll use the, some accommodative. He just wants to punch them in there because that's his playground. I'm going to tell you something. Let me put it in country boy terms. It ain't his playground, folks. It's his punishment place. And what he's going to suffer for eternity is the same thing others will suffer for eternity. And I'm going to tell you, just like the demons that we talked about last week, they didn't want to go. But they knew that when Jesus said it was time, that's where they were going. And Satan doesn't want to go, but he knows he's going. And he wants you to go there with him. He wants you to spend eternity with him because he can't have what you can. And he wants to deprive you of that eternal life with God. Revelation 20, verse 15. And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. Same place that Satan was. Revelation 21, verse 8, But as for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, as for murderers, the sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars, their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. I don't want to go there. I don't want that punishment. I don't believe there's anybody here in this room who wants to go there. Because it was really created for the devil to punish him and his rebelliousness and sin. And if he can convince you to go, to reject the salvation that's in Christ, he will have accomplished his mission as it regards your soul. But we don't have to go there. You don't have to share Satan's destiny. You know why? Because Jesus Christ came and lived for us and died for us so that we don't have to. Compare the love of God with what Satan would want for us. It may be tonight that you're here and you need to respond to the Lord's invitation. It may be that you want your name written in the book of life. You can have your sins washed away in the blood of Jesus Christ tonight by being buried with Him in baptism, raised to walk a new life. It's there that God adds your name of those who are saved to that book. 
Maybe tonight that you've done that and your life has been lived not in accordance with the Word of God and the will of God and you need to come back to Him. Whatever the case may be, if you need to come, do it right now as we stand.